Welcome back to the Eden's Apple podcast. My name's Valerie. And I'm Kim. And we're going to be talking about Esther. Again. Because <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here. It's a pretty crazy story. And we needed something a little lighthearted compared to, you know, the right. last couple <laughs> episodes. So hopefully you're along for the ride. Do you want a recap of the Esther story? Or should I just dive right into the differences in the NLV translation? Um, yeah, whatever your preferences. We can talk about it at a high level and then talk about the differences. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to say personally, I feel like I came down kind of hard on the concept of Purim. And I just want to clarify, Christian holidays are just as weird uh, as Oh, Purim. yeah. <laughs> like, Easter. No shade to Jewish people. All of our religions are extremely bizarre. Even the pagan ones that seem like kind of lighthearted, they've got some weird practices. There are just some weird things that you do for right. holidays. I mean, if you put yourself in the position of the people who were writing this tale in like whatever fucking century, life was brutal for them. Obviously, their myths and legends that they developed to explain life are also going to be extremely brutal because life was just fucking hard and people were always sick and dying and killing each other. It was a rough place. So uh, in the New Living version, the king is referred to as King Xerxes. Uh, I think it was a Hashira in the New King James. Um, one of the things that I didn't touch on when I told you the story the first time is that King Xerxes literally never makes a decision on his own throughout the entire course of the story. He always goes to ask his advisors what he should do and then his advisors tell him and he just like does what they say it's very bizarre a true ruler person who can make all their own decisions right it's kind of a like xenophobic view of foreigners because this is like not supposed to take place in judah at all it's like in persia so it comes off a little xenophobic i don't know i don't like it it is a little sketch for sure <laughs> I don't remember if I clarified to you that this party that he was throwing was 180 days long. Can you call that a party? That's multiple months. That's like, like a, what? A <laughs> over a third of the year. Yeah, like you can't, that, that's not a party. That's that's just like their day-to-day -day was just party. They were just, it's very like Bacchanal. Yeah. Then, that was just an excuse to drink way too much and like put at, the bill to the, the people. At that point, like, that's just how you live. You just live like a frat house. So at the end of this 180 days, they're having a seven-day banquet where everyone, it says, all people from the least to the greatest are allowed to come and the king gave specific orders that they can drink as much as they want that's, uh, that's a lot of alcohol it's a where are royal, they getting all this alcohol by royal decree no one gets cut off wow during this queen vashti is having her own banquet for all of the women who live and work in the palace so that's when the king calls for her. And in the New Living Version, it says for her to parade herself around wearing her crown. It doesn't say only her crown, but I don't know. It kind of implies it. Yeah. For a party that is just literally Drinking everyone. Until people black out, apparently. <laughs> right. 
for everyone in the kingdom is at this party where they're everyone is allowed to drink as much as they want he wants her to come and parade herself around to show off how hot she is i didn't read this verse the last time but i was just like oh my god um so this is what the king's advisors are telling him when he asks them what should i do about the fact that my wife refused to come to show herself off at this party. And this is from chapter one, verse 17 of the book of Esther. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. So the advisors are saying like, look, if you don't punish her for this, all of the women are going to get it into their heads that they can do whatever they want. They don't have to listen to their husbands. Yeah, exactly. Moral of the story. (laughs) Again, it feels xenophobic. They're trying to make the Persians sound really shitty to their women. I don't even know about that. Like the whole way they tell the story seems really unfavorable to the Persians. Yeah. And yeah, I would, I'd argue to say that this is them trying to tell a story and being like, these heathens that drink until they're sick and they parade their queens around naked and can't control their women and are afraid of them rebelling, you know. Like... Right, but then Esther who's and Mordecai, who are ostensibly the heroes of this story, are just like, let's murder everyone and that's uh the bible keeps using the the word so bad (laughs) like that's okay but the whole parading your wife around is not (laughs) what the bible keeps using the word joyous it is a joyous celebration for the jews and interestingly enough when i read this version in the nlv translation i did it online and they have like little notes clarifying things so i referred to what do they call it 30 shekels of silver as being chump change according to this version he said 10,000 talents of silver. And the little note at the bottom says that's 375 tons. Oh, that's a fuck ton that's of a silver. Lot. <laughs> that is not chump change. That is not, not chump change. And in Esther chapter three, verse 11, uh, it says, keep the money, the king said to Haman and do with the people as you please. So not only is he like, sure, you can kill the Jews. You don't even have to pay me. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Like what? Oh, God. And then the Bible keeps mentioning throughout that that is the price that Haman offered to pay. They keep talking about it, even though the king said he didn't need to. So there's like internal inconsistency with the narrator there. Like, well, why do you keep bringing it up if King Xerxes said he didn't need it? It's very strange. Another key difference is I believe in the New King James that Haman builds a gallows to hang Mordecai from. In this translation, they're just pikes, they're poles. It says 50 cubits, which is 75 feet, a 75 foot tall pole on which Haman's body is later impaled. That's a pretty grand gesture. That's a a very long pole. And then also after all of the bloodshed and murder Haman's 10 sons are also killed and impaled on poles throughout the city Jesus which I mean like imagine what your worldview would be like in a time where there are just dead bodies impaled on sticks 
in your town. That's- yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a pretty grim picture to paint. It- uh, that's batshit. And I mean, like, yeah. fucking Europe was worse. Europe was doing oh, Europe- crazy shit. Oh, with, yeah. Like, there'd just be bodies hanging from the gates at the front of the city. Just at some point, wouldn't you be like, hey, that smells really bad? Yeah, like there's <laughs> leagues of reasons why you don't want to do this. It's probably, smell really bad. It's really unhygienic. Like I imagine that chunks are falling off of the body as and being it goes. eaten by animals. You, you know, know that's like probably ugh. ultimately what happened to Jesus's body is that dogs came and ate his body and took it away. To me, the idea that you would choose to view this this book the bible as the literal word of god be all end all of knowledge is absurd to me like why i like the progress we've made as a society since then you know it it always astounds me because there are so many things that are super super inconsistent and what are people's values if they really think that this is the right way to do things or the right way to judge people or that god was a just and honorable person inside of all these narratives right and our relationship with the concept of divinity will always be limited to our own understanding so Mm -hmm. it's like i feel like it would be normal for our understanding of god to become more you know merciful and more kind as we ourselves grow as people so like i'm just like why would you choose to limit yourself to that specific point in history which was a really fucking shitty point in history Mm -hmm. i don't know but the whole thing is stupid on its surface though because they also believe that like nobody fucked with the message of the bible in all of the thousands of years yeah that's just not physically possible it's not it's silly it's (laughs) with all the people who wrote from it to think that that there were no bad actors Right. Like, like, as my dad would say, God had his hand on it the whole way and he was making sure it was okay. Well, then mm-hmm. he would have to remove free will and agency from the people who wrote it in order for that to be the right. case. And that's not something that God's supposed to do. This is also true. That's uh, like what happened when Eve ate the fruit. Yeah, that was like the whole deal. She has free will. Another verse that I wrote down on my paper here is chapter three, verses 13 through 14, which says essentially like Mordecai is saying this to Esther, don't think that you alone will escape. If you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. So Mordecai is outright threatening her. Ah. Weird thing to do weird thing to say uh, another inconsistency in like the plot line that i picked up on the king when he's asking haman how should i honor someone who has done something good for me haman's like ah put him on your royal horse and in your royal clothes the king says okay go do all of that for mordecai the jew so at this point he has given his permission to slaughter the jews and yet he knows mordecai is a jew and is having mordecai honored and (sighs) he's not able to pick up on the internal inconsistency there 
he's a good one. He's the one who's helping, you know? Like, uh, it, it's one of those things where, like, it doesn't matter so long as they're, like, on your side. I feel like that's, like, a common reoccurrence in just, like, general politics, where it's like, oh, yeah, I know I said all those things, but, like, that one's okay because they agree with me on something, you right. know? Like, or I... I've had the chance to get to know this guy personally, and so I view them as a human being, and that conflicts with how I've dehumanized the rest of their particular outgroup. Right. Like, they're the exception, you know? Right. So it's then, really yeah. And then when Haman goes and tells his family what Esther did and how the king is mad at him now, his family and his advisors say in chapter six, verse 13, since Mordecai before whom your downfall has started is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. So now everybody's scared of the Jews. It's kind of like a wish fulfillment for someone who doesn't want to be picked on because the story repeatedly talks about how everyone is scared of the Jews now. In chapter 8, verse 17, it says, and many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. So... Mm. Now we have people converting to Judaism because they're afraid that the Jews will kill them. What? <laughs> like, that's very strange. The New Living Version also clarifies how many people were killed. So in the first day, 500 men and 10 sons of Haman were killed. And the second day, 300 men were killed. And then this is in the main city, like the city where the king lives. In the outlying cities that were still in the king's rule, 75,000 people were killed. And it always says men, although I'm assuming that not all of the slain were men probably other right. people were killed too that's a lot of death <laughs> that is a fuck ton of people it's a strange thing for someone to write that's not based on any actual historical occurrence yeah did you see at all when you were researching like if there was any kind of evidence to like assume that this was a real thing it's... i'm imagining no no no, there's nothing really to suggest that it actually happened. There's no outside records of it happening, as well as I mentioned in the last episode about it, like the kings of Persia in that time, like they married, there was a handful of royal families that they intermarried between, and those would have been the only acceptable people for a king to marry. Like, theoretically, she probably could have been part of his harem, but a marriage for a king is a political alliance. And so you wouldn't go and marry someone who is just someone you found on the street and won a beauty contest. Right. That's pretty inconsistent with like, historically I mean, what people would actually do. I have like a funny story as an aside. I think I might have told you this before, but not on the podcast. But I was playing catchphrase at like our youth group Bible study. I got the word harem. And so I was trying to get them to guess the word harem. And I'm mainly speaking to my youth leader because I know that he's the only person who will know the word harem. So I'm like, you know, if you have like a whole bunch of wives and concubines as a group together, they are referred to as your, and the youth leader says harem. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, how do you know the word harem? And I'm like, bro, because I read the Bible. I mean, <laughs> like, why would you expect me to know, like, if it was part of the game? 
the catchphrase we had it was like a little electronic device and it would just randomly generate oh, just words random oh that's funny that it would happen randomly but yeah that's a word that pops up a lot in uh the in bible. the bible <laughs> it pops up in this story while she's like getting all of her beauty treatments and stuff uh she's being kept with the king's harem it's disturbingly familiar, you know, the sentiments of like, well, you got to keep a handle on your wife or else all these women are going to get uppity and they're not going right. to listen to their husbands and the whole society will collapse. With the amount of distance we have from this story, I don't feel like many evangelical Christians have the wherewithal to differentiate between what this story is condemning and what this story is saying is good. And that was always the problem with me, is I would read it a particular way and be like, oh, well, this is the moral of the story. But then, like, I would hear later from, like, a preacher that was like, oh, no, and this was about obedience and how you should be obedient. Otherwise, you're going to be punished. And I was like, no. That's not what I got from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that yeah. just doesn't seem very Christian or good or good for society, the way that, like, people choose to interpret things to, like, whatever their motive is. Have you ever heard of the concept of being joyfully available? No, I don't think I have. Uh, it, it's hideous, and I'm sorry to introduce you to it. The concept of being joyfully available is practiced in some more extreme evangelical communities. And this is that if your husband wants to have sex with you, you are not to say no. You are to ah. be joyfully available to him, which means not only should you not say no, you should act like you like it. That's really gross. That's and... it's uh, it's very ugly. Yeah, not okay. <laughs> There's this crazy old woman who's on social media who preaches about like trad femme stuff. They practice this concept of joyfully available and hearing her talk about it is excruciating because you're just like at a certain level, she's numbed herself to the amount of abuse that she's receiving and she's telling other women to practice this and that it's not that bad. I just wonder if they're ever going to come to terms with the fact that they like are sharing things that are bad and like genuinely not improving society. And you know, I think that some of it, like, because I did this with my own dad with uh how much he was spanking us i was also in this church that is telling these parents that if you don't beat your children you don't love them that god has commanded you to beat your children and at some Yikes. point i had to come to terms with the fact that what i experienced was abusive and that there was not actually some god out there making him do that he chose to beat us and I, I wonder if on some level, it's like if she recognized that what she's saying is harmful, then she would have to acknowledge how much trauma she herself has endured. And I think that the first part has to happen to admit wrongdoing. Like you have to realize that you've suffered extreme trauma in order to eventually figure out that, you know, you've done wrong. I know that for myself, 
it had to be that way where it was like I needed to realize the things that I experienced weren't normal or right before I could realize that like the judgment I would pass on other people wasn't normal or right or fair. I was just surviving by being so numb and desensitized to it all. It felt like I would fall apart if I acknowledged it. And I did fall apart. That's a big part of growth though. Yeah, I think that's a part of the healing is that falling apart stage. And that's why you have to be so careful sometimes about when you do it, you know, you have to feel like you're in a safe space to actually unpack all that safely and in a way that doesn't affect your life. Right. Like some people never get there. Because like a lot of this language was preached to me like if your life isn't built on solid foundations it'll fall apart and it's falling apart because it doesn't work it's meant to be like you need to build something better in its place and I'm like you you were right but you were wrong you were right but you are the unstable foundation that I built my life on right blocks of sand (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's always just like so nonsensical to me how hardcore people hang on to it and like obviously if you spend all of your time and energy focused on one book that was written thousands of years ago you're gonna go a little crazy like that's the opposite of good research like you need to be getting multiple sources and cross-referencing and it lines up with all that like sciences a lie you know yeah anything anything that's just like oh don't look further don't try and read anything else no like if you really feel strongly about what you believe in and you can present it in an argument and be able to like fairly defend it then that's way more honorable than just being like oh no just like don't even look for for other things don't don't try to prove us wrong because like we're just fundamentally right about everything because god you wonder (laughs) i wonder how much like awareness is there then because it's you would think that if you were like just listen to us don't listen to anybody else if you go to college they're going to indoctrinate you and you're going to come back believing that all of this shit is wrong well if it was right wouldn't it stand up to scrutiny are you aware on some level that it is so fundamentally flawed that if someone goes out and actually gets a hold of a decent education they'll stop believing in it that's kind of a Mm self-own yeah I mean they're like gosh it's so weird how people go to college and learn how to be critical thinkers and then they stop believing in god (laughs) (laughs) well it can't be my fault it's the colleges that are wrong correlation not causation right It's just just so wild how people move away and they get some perspective. They're not attending church like five times a week. It's got to be the devil. Absolutely. It's totally the devil. Yeah, definitely a weird story. If uh, anyone hasn't listened to the original conversation that we had, it is also on the podcast. But diving a little deeper makes it even more interesting. After editing the episode, I was like, wow, I didn't even mention the fact that King Xerxes never actually makes any of these decisions on his own. I think that's just a really good observation because it just seems so passive and 
just yeah. not an honorable way to lead. But also back then, sometimes you really suffered because people didn't talk to their advisors. So you have to wonder, like making no decisions yourself versus making all the decisions yourself kind as, of bite you in the right. ass with both. <laughs> as well as having to attempt to contextualize the voice of the author. What of this is slant that the author put into the story, you know? Mm -hmm. very complex very layered as well as I don't think I stated how it was completely outright stated that Queen Vashti needed to be punished so the rest of the women didn't get ideas and start acting up oh yeah I mean I am inherently someone who's just like yeah look that would totally happen but also you must be a pretty flimsy in your belief system or like you have really low doubts in how well you're running a your society to think that oh if I let my wife do one thing or like my queen do one thing that I tell her to do if she doesn't do it then the whole world will fall apart like right interesting maybe she was just that influential she was a very influential queen but it's yeah. a shitty thing to ask her to do to begin with so yeah don't be it's, shitty Change it's again it. it's like you you are correct that will happen like women will start being like why should i have to do everything my husband says that is true but that's good <laughs> that's a good thing to happen that should that's happen my, that's the way i perceive it going back to the college thing it's like yeah if you go off they're going to convince you that the way we live is stupid stupid and small-minded yeah that's because it, it is <laughs> <laughs> it reinforces like this weird cycle of doomsday thing like well they said that this would happen and it did well yeah because that's a normal and right correct thing to happen but then they take that to mean that the church is right nah <laughs> fuck all that noise be a rebel do a sin do a sin what's a good sin let me look up a list of sins i think we did disobedience last time boasting Ooh, boasting is a sin i do like boasting clamoring is a sin complaining Cla is a sin Oh, absolutely. Clamoring and complaining, I love because clamoring is when <laughs> clamoring is when all the women are acting up and being like, hey, why should we have to fucking do everything our husbands tell us to? Why can't we have our own lives and thoughts and experiences? Yeah. Clamor more this week. Be, be more clamoring. Start a clamor. Outcry. A vehement yes. expression of discontent or protest. Yes, complain. Listen, sometimes we complain because things are really shitty and they need to change. Yeah, recognize when your complaints are valid right. and not just, you know, empty Right. because you're like, unhappy with something else. Yeah, complaining's not inherently bad. Sometimes you get a lot from complaining. Being too friendly or nice and never complaining sometimes will bite you in the ass. So Yeah, and it can perpetuate maltreatment and perpetuate yeah. bad behavior. A lot People of will just think you're passive and walk all over you. That happens in the church too. Like all of these pedophiles who Ugh. get away with abusing children for years and years and years. A lot of times they're the parents of these kids and the victims are told that it's wrong to complain against a man of God. And so they pass that sin on to the victim 
and make it the victim's responsibility not to call out the abuse. And it happens a lot within family as well. Because people the... will just be like, oh, well, that was your family member X, and so don't say anything because you're going to ruin Thanksgiving and shit like that. And it's just wrong. If you just put yourself in a position where people can't tell you you're wrong, you will just continue down the path to becoming a horrific monster. Right. So complain, confront your monsters if you can to try and make a better world. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, that is probably a wrap for this podcast. Once again, if you want to reach out, you have any questions or things that you want us to discuss in the future, you can reach out at Podcast at gmail.com. Or on our Instagram at Podcast. Yay. Yay. Bye. Bye.